When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my pleasure to welcome you to a special edition of the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you as you make smart financial decisions in your life. We're recording this special edition Sunday night, March 12th, and we're doing it to give you the latest on the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, another smaller bank in the East Coast, and give you the latest updates on how you will be affected by this failure, the impact on you, the impact on your fellow Americans, and most important, the impact on business owners, because they're the ones that are so heavily exposed in the potential contagion of the banking sector in the United States, not individual consumers in this case. It is small business owners, mid-sized business owners, that are the ones that have the most vulnerability here. So you've sent so many questions in already. We're going to answer many of those questions in just a few minutes. As you can see, I'm not in our podcast studio. Krista will join me in a few minutes from our podcast studio as I am uh, out of town right now, but wanted to make sure that I could address for you what is going on with the bank failure and actually failures at this point and answer as many of your questions to explain the situation. So let's start with this. Silicon Valley Bank was, depending on how you measure, the 16th or 18th largest bank in the United States when it failed. Typical measurement, they had a third of a trillion dollars in deposits, made them a very large player in banking and with a special emphasis on banking for businesses because they were in Silicon Valley, a lot of tech industry, but also a lot of other businesses had their banking with them. And this is the significant thing here. This bank was extremely well capitalized and was considered to be following very conservative banking principles, but they got caught short by owning a lot of, ironically enough, U.S. treasuries, the safest, really, of all places to stash cash in the world. But as interest rates rise on bonds, the value of those bonds declined. So even though they are well capitalized and they had so much money sitting in U.S. treasuries, the safest of all things, the value of those treasuries had declined And as rumors started to spread that a run on the bank started, the bank was having to sell their holdings at losses. And as quick as they tried to sell, there was more panic in the market earlier this past week. And day by day, people were pulling money out till the bank essentially ran out of immediate cash. And 
the federal government likes to shut down a bank after banking hours, preferably on a Friday, reopen a bank on Monday under federal control or with a new owner. But in this case, the run on the bank was so large and was so immediate and so different than past bank runs because of electronic communication. People were communicating so fast and the rumors were getting larger and larger, the panic getting more and more accelerated, and the feds had to shut down the bank in the middle of the day on a banking day. Not completely unprecedented, but just about in my lifetime. Very unusual situation. Mm -hmm. So the thing with this bank that is also true of so many of what are known as super regionals and large banks in the country, 93% of deposits at the bank were uninsured. Federal insurance on a bank is capped and has not been inflation adjusted. A generation ago, it was raised to a quarter million, and it has stayed that way even with the inflation of the last many years. I did my own math computation, and the equivalent if you took the quarter million that was the FDIC insurance limit and you inflation adjusted it by my measurements today, it would be $437,500. That's a conversation for a different day. But even that would not protect most business accounts. I mean, you get to a business of 100 or more employees, which a lot of small, successful local businesses are of that size, you will have a need for cash on hand well above the quarter million dollars afforded by FDIC insurance. And that is the core of the fear that bankers had starting on Thursday and was amplified through the weekend. So you think about 93% of the deposits being uninsured at the failed Silicon Valley Bank. And you look at the regionals, and I have the list here. This is really interesting because a lot of these banks may not be known to you where you live, but they are known to so many people. But I'll start at number 25, the 25th largest bank in the United States, American Express. I mean, they have a very large bank operation. That one is a name, obviously, you know. 24th is Manufacturer and Traders Trust Company. Not familiar with them. First Republic Bank comes in next. Regions Bank, another obviously regional or super regional bank. Harris Bank, Key Bank. By the way, this list is a year old. So some of these banks may have already been through mergers since this was done. Northern Trust, Ally Bank, which is an all online bank. Morgan Stanley, the big brokerage and financial operation also has a bank. And many other well-known banks, Goldman Sachs, State Street, Charles Schwab is the 11th largest, Capital One, uh, obviously very familiar to people with credit cards, Bank of New York Mellon, Toronto Dominion Bank, PNC Bank, Truist Bank, and U.S. Bank. These are what are known as super regionals in the lingo of the banks. And then we have what are called the systematically or systemically important banks, 
which are Chase number one, Bank of America number two, Wells Fargo third, and Citibank. These four banks, the federal government offers a pretty explicit backstop to them. And what they were worried about is that so many of these super regional banks that I named, and that's kind of a size category, that there would be runs on their deposits because people would be worried, well, you know, I got more than quarter million in here. It could be wealthy individuals, but most of it is going to be people operating small or mid-sized businesses. And they're going to be like, what are we going to do? We can't take the risk of not being able to make payroll, pay our overhead, pay our expenses, pay our taxes, all the things that a business owner has to do. And, you know, my company is 20 some odd employees and we repeatedly will have money that we have to have available in excess of federal limits because of memory of what happened before. We go through a lot of gyrations to make sure we stay where we're protected from a bank failure. But the point is businesses have to have confidence in the banking sector. That's part of what we have to be able to do in the United States. So I say all that to let you know what the feds decided to do. And it's all the federal agencies have been working around the clock since Thursday to come up with a strategy. First, they tried to find a buyer for particularly of the two banks that failed over the last few days. And there were others on the ropes worried about runs on the bank is with Silicon Valley Bank, they tried to shop them and find a buyer. And it was clear that nobody was going to take on the risk of not knowing if they were going to get stuck with a lot of money that they were going to be obligated to pay out to people that they were never going to recoup. So the feds drew on a Depression-era law that was passed after all the bank failures that deepened, that hastened and deepened the Great Depression through the 1930s. And what they have done is they have used a rare function they can do where they are guaranteeing the deposits past FDIC insurance for an undetermined period of time for all the banks in the United States. There is moral hazard to that, and I'll talk about that later. So you can rest easy if you have more than FDIC and limits. And again, that's a wealthy individual, or it's mostly going to be business operators of many different sizes. I mean, think about me with 20 some odd employees. This is a concern for me. And this would be true for so many businesses that are hardworking, entrepreneurial, locally owned and regionally owned businesses that are exposed by the insufficient FDIC insurance. And there are strategies you can take that I was prepared to talk about, but now that the feds have stepped in with this backstop, it is not going to be an issue. I mentioned earlier, I want to emphasize again, the stockholders are wiped out of Silicon Valley Bank. 16th largest bank in the country, 18th, depending on how you measure. They're, they're done. They lost everything. And that's the way it should be with a bank failure. The account holders are going to be okay. Payrolls will be able to be met this week. 
because there were a lot of companies that were not going to be able to meet their payrolls this week. And the workers are not going to have to worry about that. The assets will be slowly unwound of the bank. The bank's assets being slowly unwound will probably mean no shortage or a very small one, where a rapid sell-off of the holdings and treasuries and other such instruments by this bank would have led to a huge hole there. But by being able to do what's known as workout management, there will be minimal losses almost certainly. But even if there are losses using this depression-era statute, all the nation's banks based on market share will be hit with an assessment to make up the losses, much like how it works in the insurance industry when a life insurer, auto insurer, or some other kind of insurance company fails. In that case, their state assessments that are paid that are required of insurers who have to bail out the fund that pays out to insureds of a failed insurer that fails in a state. The whole idea is to maintain faith in the banking business because there is zero doubt that this week would have led to a number of bank runs on a number of banks by their largest account holders, the businesses and some consumers, some individuals, who had so much potentially to lose with money on hand beyond FDIC insurance. Now, I want to stop there. And Krista, hey, uh, if you would bring up anything you feel like you and I talked about that I should have mentioned now or go straight to the questions that you have for me. I think we should go to the questions. This okay. question's from Sydney in Florida. Sydney says, do I need to be worried about having my money with Ally Bank? I have a CD and a savings account. I just read an article outlining 10 banks with unfavorable interest margins. Ally was on the list. They were also on the list for banks with the highest AOCI, accumulated other comprehensive income. You recommended them. Do you think people need to be concerned or worried enough to move their money elsewhere? All right. So let me answer that two ways. First, prior to the federal workout they're doing for all banks right now with the federal backstop funded by the banks collectively, even if that hadn't happened, most people who have accounts at Ally Bank or any of the online banks have substantially less than a million dollars in them. And anyone who's listened to my podcast for the last few years prior to that radio, I talked over and over again about how individuals should never have more than a quarter million dollars in any one institution. And so there are very, very few people, to my knowledge, at Ally or any of the other online banks or blended banks like Capital One, that's one of the largest banks with both branches and mostly online. And then I mentioned American Express earlier, a huge bank that is all online. Another huge bank, USAA Federal Savings Bank, all online. With any of these, or even with a physical branch bank, for us as individual consumers, trust that you keep less than a quarter million dollars in an institution. So what's the worst that happens? You, if you have the good problem, you have money in excess of that, you move it to the excess to another FDIC-insured institution. Or you can use a program that used to go by the brand name CDARS, C-D-A-R-S. If you were searching with Google or 
Bing or DuckDuckGo or any search engine and you put in CDARS, C-D-A-R-S, you'll see how that program works and how you can go to one participating institution. You can put in as much money as you want and they spread it out for you through your one account number to a variety of FDIC insured institutions. So you have essentially unlimited FDIC insurance, which is by the way, fine with the feds, because what they want to do always is spread the risk out to different financial institutions. And that's why the CDARS program has long been a respected way for people who have the good fortune of having large amounts of money, regardless of what's happening right now with this uh, supposedly temporary confidence builder that people's money is safe regardless of balance, that when we go back to all you can know you can trust is FDIC insurance, whether with Ally or someone else, that you know the quarter million means you are A-OK and you're safe. And as to the issues with Ally, Ally was not, to my knowledge, in high-risk status. Uh, but the fact is, it's not our problem individually as consumers, as long as we remember to stay below the quarter million. And then John in California was also asking about Ally, but he also said, since the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, what is your overall market advice going forward? All right. One of the strategies you can employ is to do your banking, not with a traditional bank. If you have significant assets, do your banking with Fidelity Investments or Charles Schwab. They have become giant institutions. And because of the way they're managed and the way money is invested by them, you can have very large sums of money with them and be in money market accounts through them that are U.S. Treasury money market funds that have a value that stays consistent dollar a share. You can have a government securities money market fund, fixed dollar a share, and you'll earn on your idle cash available to you at any time with direct investments in safe instruments of the federal government, again, without a fluctuating value, but a fluctuating interest rate. And right now you're going to earn somewhere typically in the mid fours percent with either of them in these funds and your money is completely safe. I mean, the whole federal government would have to fail, right? Your money is completely safe without the limit we're talking about of the quarter million. So that's the kind of thing I look at. And by the way, these institutions allow nonprofits and allow businesses in many cases to have their equivalent of banking relationships with them. And, not have to worry about the FDIC limits anymore and earn far more in your money in accounts that have no monthly fees. Uh, coming up ahead, you're going to hear a lot from the politicians grandstanding this week and drawing comparisons to the banking scandals and the resulting great recession that the banks caused, the bank failures, the bank bailouts, Nobody who engaged in criminal activity pretty much ever went to jail. We didn't talk about the comparisons of what happened 15 years ago and what is going on right now. And it's very, very different 
and I want to give you some peace of mind straight ahead. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I want to talk about the comparison to the banking scandals of 2000, started in 2007, the failures one after another, the bailouts of the banks, the nobody going to prison. I mean, it was unbelievable. There was so much financial skullduggery, wrongdoing by the banks, and they got away with it. And there, there was so much resentment among people from that time, from that era. I remember we were doing special show after special show on Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday nights. So here we are Sunday night doing this special broadcast and feels like a blast of the past and not a happy blast from the past. But I want to draw something that's just so important. This is completely different, completely different than what happened 15 years ago. There is not even a scintilla of similarity between the bank failures of the last couple of days, the bank failures that were baked into the cake that were going to happen this week that are now not going to happen because of what you'll hear a lot of politicians from the safety of their Senator House seat talking trash about what the federal banking regulators did and talking about moral hazard and saying, who didn't know that any branch of a bank or credit you need to go into, it says $250,000 limit. And yes, there is some hazard with that, except, and this is the important except, there is no way, no way that you and I as account holders have the ability to know what's behind the curtain at any bank and know who it is who might have vulnerabilities on a balance sheet. I want you to know that bank capitalization today across the U.S. banking sector and the credit unions as well is so superior to what it was 15 years ago that the unusual circumstances that caused the meltdown at this, the 16th, or depending on your measure, the 18th largest bank in America, Silicon Valley Bank, the issues were so unusual and unique that there is not a problem underlying the U.S. banking sector. That's different. The fact that it's not a scandal-based or a crumbling based on corruption by the banks of the United States that it was 15 years ago, that there's not this reckless behavior of banks or credit unions today that was present 15 years ago. It is all a different circumstance. You know, nothing ever happens exactly the same. And this is very different. But so many people who run businesses that were exposed, and you may have heard me say this stat earlier, roughly 93% of deposits at this failed bank 
were non-insured, which is true of so many banks that deal with small businesses and mid-sized businesses because the amount of working capital they have to have is so much larger. So there's no tool, there's no mechanism in place for you and I to be held to a standard of trying to figure out what is going on there. I mean, they have $300 billion in money on hand. They got to be okay, right? Well, Silicon Valley Bank had over a third of a trillion dollars on deposit. And look what happened to them. They went from being this big bank to being insolvent in 48 hours. So we need to come up with a new way in the United States that gives particularly business owners of smaller businesses, mid-sized businesses, and wealthier individuals a way to know that their money is safe. And your money is safe for now. But the contrast, the difference between the banking scandals of 15 years ago and today could not be more different. It's a bank failure and another bank failure, but it's not the same thing. People's fear is so visceral, though, because of what happened 15 years ago. And that's why the federal agencies felt they had to provide this blanket backstop of all bank deposits when banks reopen in just a few hours Monday morning. And you'll be seeing this Monday after they've opened and know your money is absolutely safe. And Krista, you have more questions for me. This one's from Cindy in Montana. In light of the recent SVB fail, how can we vet banks and their management to safeguard our savings? You know, there's already coming from the politicians criticism that the federal regulators didn't do their job. And there'll be plenty of time for the grandstanding hearings that'll happen in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate where they'll be grilled. Why didn't you know this, that, or the other is going to happen? So they were putting their money, as I mentioned earlier, in U.S. treasuries. What could be a safer place for money to be on deposit to provide security for the operation of a bank than U.S. treasuries? As I explained earlier, though, they fell on a sharp knife as interest rates were going up. The value of their treasury holdings became worth less and less, and the security that was there was not nearly as much or valuable as it had been when they bought those treasuries. There's really nothing that in a large picture that they were doing that was abnormal. There was not something that people looking at it, you can look at it now and say, well, why were they in those treasuries? I mean, everybody knew interest rates were going to go way up. Well, I think people have been surprised by how much they've already gone up. So I'm not going to join the bandwagon bashing the management of the bank. I mean, in hindsight, you can see the moves they made that seemed so practical became what destroyed the bank. But there's nothing you and I can do, and there's nothing specifically, because every time there will be a bank failure, the story will be a little different. This was just an oddball because this was such a large bank and the situation required so much involvement because so many other large banks like this 
we're going to be at risk of a deposit run because people are going to be like, wow, if that happened at the this very, very large bank that was so respected, I don't know if my money's safe in this other bank. So I don't know that there's anything specific I could point to and say, shame on these people. They were terrible. They were doing awful things. All right. And this is from Todd in Texas. If you have over 250K in different accounts in one banking institution, what is the wise thing to do? I know the FDIC insures customers up to that amount in most cases, but should you bank with several banks to stay below the limit? And what is the safest way to protect your life savings in the event of another financial crisis and avoid monthly fees? And that's representative of a couple people asked about their 401ks, which sure. might be larger with Vanguard and Fidelity, et cetera. Right. So I addressed some of that with the CDARs earlier. And uh, this thing of having accounts titled differently at the same bank to multiply out your FDIC insurance, do not ever rely on the assurances of an officer at the bank that you're in a multiplier effect with beyond a quarter million dollars covered. There's too much. They're not responsible. As we found out 15 years ago, the bank's not responsible when you were told by a bank officer, oh, don't worry about that. Title this this way and title that that way and title this other thing another way. And now your 250 is 750. And then these banks went poof. And then people got 250 and the other 500 went sayonara. You don't do that. So, and I hope I didn't offend anybody by saying sayonara. It's just an expression. Anyway, so what I'd like for you to do is spread your money out at multiple institutions. Now, the, the second part of that involved Schwab, Fidelity, and Vanguard, right? Yes. Not from so, this question, but there were people who asked about that. Like, I have my 401k or my IRA, and it's bigger right. than that. Wonderful question. So it works really crazy. All right. Let's say you have a 401k. What's the money in? It's in various index funds or mutual funds, typically. And so when you're in those, each of those are their own financial vehicle, even if it's the brand of Fidelity, and you have a Fidelity 401k, or it's a Vanguard brand, and it's a Vanguard 401k, or it's a Vanguard or Schwab or Fidelity IRA, or you fill in the name of the company. Each individual fund that you have, whether it's a stock fund, a bond fund, a balance fund, whatever, it has its own assets. So it owns individual stocks, it may own individual bonds, alternative investments, whatever's in it. So your money is not at risk, even if the organization that administers your account were to go insolvent. The money you have in the funds is safe because it's underwritten by those investments. Now, if the investments you have your fund in go down in value, your fund goes down in value, but your money is still your money. And what happens when a brokerage fails, and we haven't had a huge number of brokerage failures in recent times, but that used to be a pretty common thing. When a brokerage fails with the securities equivalent of the FDIC, the Securities Investors Protection Corporation, which is not a federal agency, but is subservient to and overseen by the federal agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission, 
when a brokerage fails, basically they engineer a takeover of the customer accounts. Now, if you have cash under management by a brokerage and a brokerage fails, you don't have that money invested. It's just sitting there. That money could be potentially at risk. SIPC has its own coverage, but it has holes in it like Swiss cheese. That's a whole different thing. That's why I always talk about people who have brokerage accounts and investment accounts and retirement accounts. You want the money invested in things, even if it's money market funds within there. So then you have the same protection I was talking about before, like with a 401k, having money in index funds or mutual funds. You may have one that allows money in ETFs now, exchange traded funds. Each of those is their own little cocoon of protection for you. I know that's a lot I'm throwing out all at once, and it can get confusing. But the good news, at least for now, is some gutsy people made decisions that I think were the right thing to do to restore faith in the banking system that if you asked people a week ago, are you worried about the safety and security of banks in the United States? People would say, no. And then like that, like that instantly, this fear spread through the land. And coming up with a mechanism to stabilize the system. But if a bank does, in fact, fail, knowing that the stockholders will be wiped out is the most important thing for the American people to feel very differently about the banks now than the horrible, horrible, criminal behavior of the banks 15 years ago. And everybody got away with it. And the stockholders, for the most part, were preserved with their holdings. And you and I took the losses through various federal rescue vehicles. And as taxpayers, we are the ones that bailed them out. This is a completely different situation, and it's not going to play that way. Thank goodness. So thank you so much for joining us for this special Sunday night edition of the Clark Howard podcast. And I'm sure there will be more questions as we go through this week. And I hope that there's no contagion that requires another special edition, but we will get to your questions as needed, as necessary, as the week rolls forward. Have a great day.